Well, this morning, the title of the sermon is Jesus Who? Jesus Who? We're in the book of Colossians. You can turn to Colossians 1. We are in a uh, phenomenal passage. It's uh, one of the best, if you could rate parts of the Bible. It is one of the uh, most intriguing, inspiring, uh, important passages in Scripture. And uh, uh, we're going to be starting in verse 15 today of Colossians 1. But the title of the sermon today is Jesus Who? Jesus Who? And not like Horton hears a who. Not like, uh, who is that knocking at my door? It's not, it's not anything like that. It is Jesus Who? In other words... Which Jesus? And for you and I this morning, what we need to wrestle with is which Jesus do we want? And sometimes I feel like we have what's called a Play-Doh Jesus. How many of you guys remember Play-Doh? Stole this from the, I mean, I borrowed this from the three, fours, and fives. I promise to give it back for you teachers in here. And uh, I miss those days of Play-Doh. I'm not even sure I'm qualified to reach in here right now. It's been so long since I've had... Oh, some of you are like, smell the Play-Doh. Oh, why would you tell me to do that? Oh, no, that does not bring back a pleasant memory. So here, here it is. Uh-oh, we do not want to drop Play-Doh on the, on the stage. So here is the Play-Doh. And, you know, our first point this morning, and you can take the sermon notes and, and write things in there. The first point is Play-Doh Jesus. And uh, we'll get to that in a moment, but, you know, I had a lot of fond memories of Play-Doh. You know, you can take, um, you can take a coin, right? And you could, a dime here, I'm going to just kind of mush this down. And I'm going to clear off all the edges. Remember how we did that? You know? And then, uh, and I'm going to peel this off the dime. <laughs> Yes. Now I'm going to take this to 7-Eleven and try to get a Tootsie Roll. How good is that going to work? Right Now that was me, right? You remember, how many of you grew up with Play-Doh that, that you had all the shapes? And you could crank it and you had the factory. You could kind of like crank the things out. All I had was the basic shapes. That's how bad my third world child experience was. Okay? Just like I could do stars. I could do squares. And now it's like, you know, they've got the one where like you can stamp out Godzilla or something. I'm so jealous. Had I had Godzilla, I could have just dominated preschool. It would have been phenomenal. But, you know, we used to do this, and we used to, like, make play money and stuff like that. And, and you know, Play-Doh's kind of fun, because what can you do with it? You can make it into what you want. You can make it into what you want. Well, let's look at our scripture this morning. We have it up on the screen, and we're going to, well, let's just read. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. And it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now this is a mouthful. This is an entire semester's course in seminary on Christology. And how I'm going to cover all this in, in a few short minutes uh, is going to be miraculous in and of itself. But what we're not going to do is focus on every single attribute. I think a majority of us have been there. We'll go through that on a cursory level. But our, our question today, our takeaway today is, Jesus who? So we don't want to get caught in the minutia. We want to get caught to where Paul needs us to get caught to. There's a purposefulness behind why he wrote this, where he wrote it. Let me introduce you to the church. The church at Colossae, or Colossae, however you want to say it, whether you're from north or south, struggled just like any church in that time. The church was this new organism. It was growing. It was fresh. And have you ever been part of a team and, and you adopt this team culture and you have these, these certain sayings, right? And then the newbie comes in. Kind of like in that video. And the newbie comes in and, and now the newbie wants to change it up a little bit and you're like wait a minute what gives you the right to change change things up and you kind of redefine well i'm not really it's just like one or two things all right let the newbie have and then another newbie comes and change and, and then sometimes you turn around and you're saying what happened what happened to who we were this is what's happening within the church of asia minor just a few short years after christ ascended the story of the resurrection, the story of Christ, the story of the gospel has gone out. It was crystal clear, but now there are competing factions. Do we have competing factions today that want to redefine Jesus? Competing factions that want to make a Play-Doh Jesus? Absolutely we do. Absolutely do. You've heard me talk about this from the stage before. How many celebrities have we heard say, my Jesus? Can I just encourage you? Don't say my Jesus, unless you're having an intimate conversation with him. But when you're talking to other people, simply speak about Jesus, how he defined himself. That's what we're going to have as a takeaway today. Jesus who? It's so crucially important that we know who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. So this morning, let me show you, let me give you some insight as to what this church was struggling with. There was a group of people that were coming in with philosophical beliefs, and they were mixing those philosophical beliefs with, uh, with faith. And so the result, the interim result, was they wanted to kind of change things up. They wanted to redefine Jesus. They wanted to take the culture of the day and marry that with who Jesus said he was. What did that look like? Well, you had to compromise. You had to kind of make a new Jesus. And so that's why our first point is Plato Jesus today. Uh, let's see if I can get this to go. The church started to believe in another Jesus. What did that look like? Well, this philosophy, and it was called Gnosticism, believed that material is evil. Okay, a lot of this came from Greek thinking, from Plato, from Aristotle, from, from others, okay? And so they believe that material is evil. Therefore, here's your logic, right? Here's your syllogism. If if the material is evil, 
and God is good, therefore God cannot be what? Material. Right? That's how logic works. That's how syllogism works. That's what they believe, and that's why they had this clash. That's why they had this problem. So what do we have to do? We have to make a Plato Jesus. We have to make a Plato Jesus. All right, sometimes in the church today, how many of you, when you use Plato, you did this? Right? And then your hands smell. Right? So you're doing this. And now how many of you are going to make the worm? Right? And then how many of you are going to uh, make a cigar? Nobody? Come on. Okay. And then how many of you... No, not there yet. How many of you are going to make spaghetti? You know? You food people. Uh-oh. My worm, my spaghetti, it's all falling apart. But then some of us... We want to make a pink Cheerio. No, somebody said it. A ring. Right? I officiated a wedding last week of a gal that is very close to our family. And uh, how old is Andrea? 47 years old. And she was part of my high school staff down there for years. She lived with our family for years. She helped raise Dylan. That's why Dylan is so good. And, uh, and then another gal that was on our staff moved in with her. And then one of the gals that came up through the youth group moved in with them, and it became, you know, the Beyonce household of all the single ladies, right? These gals got together, some of you, that was really fun to say that, because, man, some people, Beyonce, who's Beyonce? Anyway, what a beautiful wedding, and one of the greatest testimonies in that wedding was that those three gals for several years, would get up at 6.30 every morning and pray for their future husbands. You're talking about women, Christian women, who have heard everything you need to hear about singleness and being committed to singleness. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. All three of those girls are getting married within eight months of each other. Just an incredible testimony. So, I'm not saying they did this, but come on, let's be real. Do we interpret Jesus according to the rings sometimes? Right? Okay, don't worry. Some of you are like, ouch, that one hurt. I'm going to come up with others. Make us feel real good about ourselves. Next point. So they're dealing with the material. What else did it look like? Well, God could not have created the world. Because why? Because God would not have created evil. That makes sense, right? How many of you going to a church, you listen to that? And you're saying, well, wait a minute, again, syllogism. The world is filled with evil. God does not create evil. Therefore, what? God did not create the world. Perfect logic. This does not sound like, you know, mixed up crazy, you know, global warming stuff. Oh, now I did it. Okay. So they're struggling. They're, they're taking philosophies. And so what do they have to do? They have to say that what? That Jesus didn't what? Jesus didn't create the world. Right? Now God cannot be material. Now God cannot be creator. Because according to man, that just doesn't fit. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to make Jesus into... Well, we're not sure. He's just that right now. We haven't, we've kind of broken him down. We've unsculpted him. 
Next, Jesus is just one of many that God has created. There's nothing unique about Him. There's nothing unique about Jesus. That, that God, there's this egalitarian teaching that God's creating all things together. Which is kind of a contradiction of terms, right? Because God can't create evil, but yet, if He's creating man, how does all that work? So this is, again, part of the struggle. Lastly, people could come to salvation through a secret and special knowledge, not through the person of Jesus Christ. We have this same problem today, don't we? So if I took my Play-Doh, it's getting messy up here, folks. You guys remember this part? when Clean up, right? You had to do this? You're not going to remember anything spiritual at all about today's message. So... You know, for some of us, Jesus is about certain things. We have to have a Play-Doh Jesus. And this is why I had to repeat kindergarten three times. That's a dollar bill. But see, I stacked my money. So for some of us, if we're not getting the money we need, if it's just too hard, then we're going to change our view of Jesus. Right? That, hey, what I hear from all these people is that if I just trust in Jesus, all my finances are going to just be great. They're just all going to fall in line and, and I'm just going to put this right here. You guys can remember, how have you shaped Jesus? You see, we, we all do it. Because sometimes we just don't remember who Jesus is. We don't remember who Jesus says He is. We don't remember how Jesus revealed Himself. How many of us have gotten frustrated because in relationships people assume things about us? And they don't do the hard work to really get to know us. But when someone does the hard work to get to really know who you are, what does that demonstrate to you? It demonstrates love. It shows interest. It shows uh, relationship, doesn't it? And so as we look at this relationship with Jesus Christ, my question to us this morning, a little bit of Play-Doh Jesus down there on the floor. I'll get, just get it. Is... What position or what shape does your Jesus take? Right? Are you a lot like the church at Colossae that was struggling with all of these things because you've allowed some other areas of the world or your culture or your life to come in and start to redefine who Jesus is? You know, usually when I do that, that's about as good as I get. That's not very good. I want to shoot for, for God-level stuff. I want to have that relationship that transcends what I can make Jesus into. Because you know, what I make Jesus into is way less than who He truly is. Amen? Now, if we get our thinking right, 
which the church at Colossae did get their thinking right, eventually, if we get our thinking right, then we start taking Jesus for who He is. The preeminent Christ. Now what does that mean, preeminent Christ? It means He's the first. He's the first. So let me ask you that this morning. Is Jesus first for you? Is He first? Or is He seventh? Or tenth? You're saying, hey, Jesus made it into the top ten list. Right? That's pretty good. You know how you evaluate that, right? It's not in good moments. It's not sitting here right now. Because this is a really good moment. I'm loving this moment. Aren't you loving this moment? It's a good moment. Right? It's pretty comfortable. You guys all look very comfortable and very good this morning. You're looking sharp. You know, this is when you find out if Jesus is first. When you get left by someone. When there's a death in your family that you just can't explain. When you've been struggling with chronic illness. When the suffering becomes too much to bear. It's those moments that you know where Jesus is and you can answer this question, Jesus who? So let me do us all a favor and let's look at how Jesus describes Himself so we can get that locked in and we don't have to do the whole Play-Doh thing. Let's start out. Paul says, first and foremost, what? That He is God. He is the visible man- manifestation of God. The fullness of who Jesus says He is. In John fourteen <clears throat> nine, it says this, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Right? This fits so perfectly with the title today, Jesus Who? And then Jesus says this about Himself. Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Who is Jesus saying He is? He's saying He's God. There's no disputing it. Now, if Jesus wasn't able to do the things that He did, if He didn't rise from the dead, if there was one small area that we could look at and say, Ah, hey, that looks a little bit more like Play-Doh Jesus. This might not hold the power that it's claiming to hold. But that's not what happened. That when you look at the life of Jesus, when you look at the prophecy of Jesus, when you look at who Jesus says He is and how He demonstrated that in His ministry and beyond that, He has credentials, doesn't He? He has credentials. And so Jesus says, regardless of what all the Gnostics would say, regardless of how the church is getting confused about Jesus, regardless of all the, my Jesus is this, Jesus says, I am God. I'm God. Philip, how can you walk with me and not see the Father? Secondly, He is Lord. He holds the authority over all creation. Let's turn turn with me to Hebrews This is a great passage. Sometimes I'll just reference things, but I do want us to read this this morning. Hebrews 1, (coughs) excuse me, verse 2. 
It says, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. This is a, a paramount passage for us to look at this morning in context to the next two. Also, let's go to Revelation uh, 1.5. And many of us have heard this verse before, but it's, it's worth stating It says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. The point being, and Paul's point, is that Jesus is what? He is Lord. He holds authority. Now this is where we start to get into Plato Jesus in our life, right? We start seeing ourselves as the authority over our lives. And that's because He's given us free will. He's given us the opportunity to choose and decide what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and when we're going to do it. And there's an interaction that happens there that if we consult with Christ, we wait on Him, we look to Him for wisdom and answers. Yes, He helps us with that decision and He always gives us something to move towards that is good, that is right. But the challenge for you and I is will we acquiesce, will we follow Him as the major authority in our life? And that's where the church started to get a little sideways. So Paul's having to clarify. Third, he's Creator. Paul says, by Him, in Him, and for Him, all things were created. This is intentional and it is sustained. It says that there was in the, the heavenly realms, the angels and the thrones. This is His invisible creation. And then His visible creation is the concepts of what Paul writes here in the earthly realms. Men and governments. Let me take you to it real quickly and, and we'll break that down. And then I, uh, I look forward to showing you something here in just a moment. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, for by Him all things were created. So there Paul is writing. You see how he's writing an emphasis to Plato Jesus, right? The Jesus that the Gnostics want to redefine. They want to reshape. And so Paul's very specific. Why is he writing the things that he's writing? It's because there is an attack on the personhood, the character of Jesus. By the way, if Jesus holds no authority over my life, I'm never going to consult Him for anything, right? Why would I? I'm not going to trust Him for anything. Why would I? He has no authority. If He didn't create these things, then I'm a little confused on the glory and the splendor. I got up this morning and kind of ruled up. And then I started my prayer and I'm looking out the window. And it's amazing. You know, it's that time of year. It's getting a little dark early. And I looked out my window and I thought, did I miss a whole day? I'm looking off in the distance towards the city, towards Oakland. Because I can see that good. No, it's not, I have no idea. I'm guessing. And there's clouds off in the distance, and they're lit up just like there's a sunset. I have never looked out my window when the sunrise is happening and seen clouds look as if there's a sunset happening. It was absolutely beautiful. And I had a great moment with God just celebrating His creation. If I don't see God as the Creator, I'm looking at that and I'm, there's something lacking, isn't there? There's purposefulness lacking. And I know that, that those who haven't grasped this yet, that don't name Jesus as or God as Creator, either one, that the challenge is that you're left. You're just you're right there. It's how many of us 
can name authors? How many of us can name directors? How many of us can name playwrights? How many of us can name famous sculptors? How many of us can name famous um, um, artists? Is there anybody in the room who has a favorite artist that is not Thomas Kincaid, Paint by Light? Can you name one? A famous artist? Monet. Is that Spanish? Thank you. Merci. And so does that compel you to look at other Monets? Of course it does. Because of the handiwork of the Creator. How beautiful. But how unintentional. And really, to me, how wasteful that I could not attribute that to somebody, to something that has the power to do all that. So invisible, heavenly realms. Let me get back to this so you see this, because there's a lot packed in here, and we're going we're gonna to truncate it, okay? For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Now do you hear what he's saying, right? Remember that the Gnostics were talking about mystic things, and, and that uh, the material is evil. You see what's happening here? It's a defense of the Gospel. It's an apologetic. He's saying God has created, Jesus has created the visible and the invisible, that which is on heaven, that which is on earth, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and what? For Him. Through Him and for Him. Paul is not so much focused on the specifics of each of those words as much as he is trying to get the point across. There is nothing that he hasn't created. Trump card. Sorry, I said the word Trump in here. Okay, I apologize. <laughs> Not political this morning. All right. He's the sustainer. He is eternal and he sustains life. Is that your Jesus? Is that the Jesus that you understand? Verse 17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Scripture describes him in Revelation as the Alpha and the what? The Omega. What what does that mean? That means the beginning and the end. Scripture says here that he created all things. And also in Hebrews it says God was pleased to, through Jesus Christ, create the heavens and the earth. Which means he's eternal. He existed before the earth. He is eternal. Now here's the mind bender. He says that He sustains life. Did you catch that? Did you catch it? It says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things what? Hold together. When I was in college, my first bout of college, how many of you have had that, right? You have multiple bouts of college? Okay, don't admit it. People look at you weird. Okay. My first bout with college, I think I remember four things, and one was academic. And this is it. Here you go. You ready? Because this is a nugget. This is not Play-Doh. Um, fascinating. Actually, it wasn't my first bout. It was my second bout. I took an oceanography class. And do you know that the way that all of this works, the reason we're having a drought, but other places are flooding, like Southern California and, and all that, that it's all connected to something called surface tension. Have you ever gone to a lake somewhere when you were a kid and you watched that spider walk across the water 
And as a kid, you're amazed. And you're thinking, how does that happen? And then you're like, as careful as you... Nope, doesn't work for me. How does that spider do that? Just amazing. It's a scientific study of... And we put this... It's called hydrogen bonding, but the easier way is to call it surface tension. Do you know that if that calculation... I don't know what the equation is for it. I don't know all the scientific things and physics that work with it, but it is incredibly precise. And we're going to show you in a moment how precise it is. So Paul is claiming that Christ holds all things together simultaneously, instantaneously, right now. And then when we see natural disasters, we interpret that as, oh no, God has forsaken us. Maybe there is some of that that's mixed into it, but do you know that the earth has to correct itself in certain ways? And one of those ways is through surface tension. That if we didn't have that exact equation of surface tension, that we would, the earth would just mass flooding. Because evaporation can only happen under a certain breakdown of that surface tension. If the surface tension isn't set exactly to the pinpoint level that it is, there would be way too much evaporation and life as we know could not exist. If the surface tension was too tight and too hard, we would be like, every once in a while I turn to Janine and I say, honey, I think there's a lot of surface tension around here. Uh, you know, I don't know. But it has nothing to do with our marriage or our family. It's all, you know, it's because of the drought, right? So some people ask you about the drought, say, hey, blame it on surface tension. If there's too much surface tension, you're not going to get any rain. It is so precise. This is just one way to help you understand how Jesus Christ holds all things together. I want you to see this. I just came across this video. Watch what happens. This is amazing. Yes, it's Yosemite once again. Isn't that amazing? You know, next time you hear music that goes sour, just tell the person, I think you hit the ninth harmonic. It all fell apart at the ninth, okay? Fantastic. And the correspondence to how the water was reacting to those harmonics, that it would display that same amount in, in its physicality. But it, was, it wasn't until that ninth harmonic. So in other words, Jesus has designed it that at a certain point it will fall apart. Because it needs to fall apart. Yet we look at life and we say, mm, I'm going to go with Plato, Jesus. Because you know what? Things fell apart. Do you have that moment in your life where something needed to fall apart? And you never would have let it go. You never would have let it go had it been up to you. But Christ 
in his wisdom, in his knowledge, in his eternality, and having the ability to hold all things together, or let them fall apart for the greater good. Right? It's so desperately important, my friends, my brothers and sisters, that we see Christ as He is, as He is self-evident, not as we want to mold Him or shape Him into something lesser than He truly is. Let me finish up by um, this next point. He is a sustainer, He is eternal, and He sustains life, past, present, and future. And I think the guys are going to jump me to the next point, and it is that He is the unifier. He binds the church together. And turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, 12, if you will. He's letting my voice fall apart right now. Anybody else get that allergy thing over the weekend? Uh, No complaints, because my back is better. So I'll take allergies over back issues any day of the week. So Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Christ is the unifier within the church. It is why we pull together. It is why we, in our very distinct ways, in our, in our very unique personalities, in our abilities, in our talents, that we can come together and we can unify over Christ. Amen? So He is the unifier for the church. What else? He is first. Christ says that, or or Paul is saying this about Christ, that He is first. He's first among men, the first to die and to resurrect. And let's go back and and look at this, because this is one of the most fascinating uh, ideas that that Paul is presenting here. It's it's a little bit challenging to, to wrap our heads around. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. We just talked about that. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now what does that mean? He's the firstborn of the dead. It's just a title. We all die, right? So he's saying that he, God established Christ in his humanity as that which is first. The first over all of humanity. It's not. It doesn't need to be taken in some weird, mysterious, ambiguous way. That's not what was being written. It is a simple, almost uh, Jewish way of understanding titles. So what he's doing is he's declaring Christ's preeminence over all of humanity. He was the preeminent human man. Alright? So he is first. He is mandated. God chose to have His fullness dwell in the person of Christ. And we see that starting in verse 19. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There's different ways that you can take that. That that Jesus was willing, like Philippians 2 talks about, Jesus was willing to set aside this, but He chose to set aside. He actively chose to set aside. That's focused more from Christ's perspective. I think the better rendering or understanding of what Paul's trying to infer here is that he's responding to Plato Jesus. Not Plato Jesus. Not Pluto Jesus. Plato Jesus. Right? 
And the accusation here is that Jesus cannot be God, right? Because God cannot be manifested in human form. Why? Because humans trans- or, or, uh, demonstrate evil. Yet, that's why Christ is first. Is that there was no evilness within Christ. There's a presumptive thought with Plato Jesus. And that is that He's just like all of us. Well, He fully was man, but He also was fully God. And the best way to render what Paul's saying here is, God Himself thought it beneficial and was fully pleased to make sure that all of who God is was demonstrated in Jesus Christ. So that kind of settles it. That's not up for debate anymore, is it? We don't get to play Plato Jesus anymore. Because what Paul's saying is that God made this choice. There's no disputing it. The Father made the choice. End of conversation. How many of you are like that? You just like getting to that point. Done. We're done. Done. Conversation over. Okay? Just drop the mic. Walk away. Okay. It's finished. So there's a mandate. He's been mandated that the fullness of God is in him, in the person of Christ. Lastly, he is reconciler. Christ is God's effort to bring man into relationship. And so that brings us to three questions today. How does the preeminent Jesus change our lives? Especially with that last point. If he's reconciler to God, between man and God. This is very simple. That sometimes we have never heard of Jesus. There may be those sitting in the room today that this is that first exposure, that's their first understanding. Many of us may have heard of Jesus, we grew up with Him, but we've done Plato Jesus. Because we want to make Jesus into something that we think is beneficial. Here's the challenge. Have you ever been wrong? There was one time for me, it was just one time. Have you ever been wrong? When it comes to our spiritual nature, my friends, we can't afford to be wrong. We can't afford to be wrong. And so there's three questions here for you. And for me. Jesus who? Who is your Jesus? Is it the one that is preeminent? And all those characteristics we just went through that Paul gives. Is that your Jesus? Or have you been living with a facsimile of Jesus, one that you created, and that's left you disillusioned, that's left you doubting, that's left you frustrated. Well, I'm going to take you through these three questions right now. Number one, we need to rise above the rhetoric. We need to be like Paul, not the church at Colossae. You see, they entertained the rhetoric. They sat down and had a conversation Can I just give you an apologetics rule? Apologetics is the idea of just giving a good calculated defense of something. In this case, Jesus Christ. You get into a discussion about Jesus. Don't try to convince anybody of anything. Simply spell out Jesus how he spells himself out. Let him be Jesus. And in your own life, let him be Jesus. Don't try to manipulate something. Don't try to form it into, okay, here's here's the Jesus that, you know... um, You know, I don't know what Jesus that is. Rise above the rhetoric. Demand the Jesus that is self-evident. Number two. He relieves us from the burdens of life and life falling apart. 
Remember that about Jesus. Is that He can bring the relief you need in context to when life is falling apart around you. Because that's who He says He is. Behold, I am the good, what? Shepherd. That's how He called him, or described Himself. That's who He is. Lastly, He reconciles us to God. As I close in prayer this morning, I'm going to pray over the, the offering. And if you've brought your gifts, the boxes are back there. If you have a card um, that you put a prayer request on or you just want us to know how to contact you, you can drop that in the box on the right as you leave today. But I'm going to ask a very serious question today as I do close in prayer. Maybe today you realize that you've had a Play-Doh Jesus. And you need to get... You need to get on board, stick that Play-Doh Jesus back in a box and seal it and be done with it. Because it's time for the real Jesus. And maybe that's you today. And you're saying, I need that Jesus. I need that Jesus in my life. And when I pray, I'm going to just ask if that is where you're at today, if question three is, is where you want to be, I'm just going to ask you to respond um, the rest of us, actually all of us, let's just go ahead and pray and, and, and bow our heads and we'll close up today. Father, it is a blessing to be gathered together. And to hear this reminder of who our Christ is, who our Jesus is. First of all, Father, forgive us if we have changed or tried to manipulate Jesus into something that He never is, never was, and never will be. That we have settled for a less than Jesus, a Plato Jesus. Father, help us to reflect on that and come to terms with it and come back to who Christ says He is and follow that Christ, follow that Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who is our shepherd, the one who loves and can carry life and holds life together. This morning, Father, if there is even one person that is here today that after listening to this, they realize, I need to know the real Jesus. I've had the wrong idea about who He is, or I've tried to shape Him into something that He isn't, and I've just not seen the evidence of Him working in my life. Or this is the first time I've heard. But there's something going on inside of me. There's something drawing me to know that true Jesus, that preeminent Jesus, that that real and that loving Jesus. Father, I pray now that the Holy Spirit moves within their heart to draw them to You. Seeking after Your Son. Seeking relationships. Stepping out in faith. And Father, as I do so, I also pray over our, our week that we honor You. We let who Jesus is become that number one in our life. But also, Father, that we honor, we manifest, we take, we are the ones that get molded into the Play-Doh. We're the ones that are constantly being shaped into a likeness of Christ. And I pray that for us this week as well. Accept our gifts, accept our offerings, let them please You, Father. And this morning, as you continue to 
have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm just going to ask for the sake of myself being able to know, because God knows, but for my sake to know how to pray and so that I can follow up. If there's anybody here this morning that you desired to reach out to Christ, the real Christ, the preeminent Christ for the first time, that that was the desire of your heart and you, during that prayer time, sought after Him to follow in faith, would you please indicate by just looking right at me if that is you this morning so I can know that I can be praying for you and lifting you up and engaging with you. Amen. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen? Amen.